Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. Do me a favor, subscribe to the John Conn Report wherever you get your podcasts. You're watching on YouTube, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button. You can find us there as part of Empire Media. That's A-M-P-I-R-E. Always much appreciated. Today, I'm joined by former Washington tight end Logan Paulson as we dive more into the draft as it gets closer and closer. It's hard to believe it's almost here, folks. So finally, we can get back, stay on the field and talk about um, issues that are, I think, a little bit more enjoyable to talk about right now, and that's who is going to be the next Washington commander or the first one in the in the first round. Anyway, so Logan and I get into all that. We talk about the offensive line because that's clearly an area they may go and address. I ask about tight ends because I know a lot of you have asked about that in the first round. I don't think they're going to go tight end in the first round. I think a lot of things would have to fall a certain way for that to happen. Uh, and they're not going to, they wouldn't see the guys that they really want to see there. You know, I could see them trading back, but I could see a tight end after the first round. Cause I know there are some guys that they like after the first round. So we get into all of that. And Logan explains a little bit why some of those first round guys might not be, you know, might not provide or present the best value, all that. And then we also talk a little bit about pass rushers and that could be defensive end. That could also be an off-the-ball linebacker who also can rush the passer well, because I do think that's on the list as well. And along those lines, the commanders hosted Clemson defensive end Miles Murphy this week. They also hosted Tennessee quarterback Hendon Hooker, two areas, two guys that are going to be, you know, two certainly an area with Hooker. They do have interest in him. They're bringing him in as much about checking his health out, coming off that ACL. And then with Murphy, I think there's interest at that position. He's a guy that would be drafted more after the first round. I also think with um, with Hooker that he's a guy too that you would you would take after certainly not taking him at sixteen, but I think it's if you get maybe an extra pick in the second round, or maybe if he's there in the third round, that's where you get him. Anyway, both persons of interest, and with defensive end, it's it certainly makes sense. Montez Sweat and Chase Young. We don't know what their futures are here. Chase Young, they still haven't picked up his fifth year option. Montez Sweat would be a free agent after the season. What happens if either they one of them goes or both go or whatever? Then you still need you need a guy, and you could have a guy here if you go that direction. And you know, and and it all it gives you some insurance, even if you keep them both. It does give you some insurance if you wanted it and needed it. Anyway, that's why they might go that direction. But they do. I think there is a there is a definite interest in finding another pass rusher again, be it an off the ball linebacker or somebody at defensive end. So there you go. Now, give you give me one or two more minutes because I want to talk about a couple things that I talked about, and I wanted to provide more information on a on the rebranding bylaws and all that in the NFL. So as I told you the other day, there is a five year rule in the NFL that if you change your uniforms, helmets, and all that, you can't do it again for an, at least another five years. 
Now, there is an, ex an exemption if the team is sold or if the team moves. Clearly, in this case, the sale would be on the table. That would, uh, that would allow them to go to the commissioner and ask for an exemption. What I don't know is, this is somewhat unprecedented here, folks, that you, you know, the, the, when you look at the bylaws, it talks about uniforms and helmets changing, not names. So would the NFL really grant them an exemption a year, like a year and a half after changing the name to commanders? I don't know. But I also know when you talk to a lot of people, when I, I talked to for a story on ESPN.com earlier this week about the new priorities for an owner, and I talked to a couple dozen, dozen people, nobody said, oh, they got it right away that, that a new priority, or excuse me, that a top priority right away for these owners would be, oh, you got to change the name. Nobody said that. So I, I just, you know, doesn't mean they wouldn't, doesn't mean they shouldn't down the road. I'm just saying for an immediate priority, I don't think that would top the list, knowing the resources that it takes, whether it's um, financial or personnel to accomplish that whole track. It's not as simple as, oh, all these fans want Red Wolves, boom, there it is. There's so much they would have to study and there would be so much money invested in that that I think it's something they would take their time doing just a hunch on that, that if they even wanted to, and I don't know that they would or wouldn't. And it certainly is going to be a question to ask of the new owner because we know how fans feel about it. But and I'm going to maintain if they build a good organization, you know, that's, I think that has to be the top priority because if all you do is come in and change the name and the other stuff doesn't change, if you're not a better team or organization, the name doesn't matter. You're not going to be there. So, and I think they know that as well. So anyways, but I don't know what's going to happen. I just wanted to provide a little bit of an update on that for you. And again, it will be a topic when a new owner is approved and meets the media for the first time, that topic will come up because we know how you folks feel. And I just don't think it's as simple as you, as, as just saying, okay, we're going to do it. And now it's done. It's not that simple. The priority will be stadium practice facility, all that stuff anyway, but we'll get into that more. I'm not Trust me, I understand the feelings on the name. I understand it very well. Not saying they shouldn't even consider it. I'm just telling you what, what I think their top priorities would be when they come in for the first time. And anyway, there you go. So that's something I want to tell you. And then also, we also know, um, all right, so the Josh Harris group sent a, basically it's an unofficial um review of their offer they sent that to the league and again it's an unofficial review it's not a significant step in this process it's something that steve apostolopoulos could have done as well sent his bid to the, to the league just to kind of review it to make sure it was okay it still has to be signed and then when it's signed and then it gets sent to the nfl to the finance committee that's when a significant step would be taken because that's when you know it's headed down the road of final approval so be careful with how you process all this information that's out there. I keep telling you, head on a swivel because there's been a lot of stuff out there that's just a lot. So, you know, that's where we're at right now. Um, anyway, that's it for me. How about that? Here's my conversation with former Washington tight end, Logan Paulson. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
Did you know the largest ropes course in Zipline Park in the country is right here in the DMV? Located in the heart of Montgomery County, the Adventure Park at Sandy Spring combines climbing and ziplining to create an aerial obstacle course unlike any other. With challenges anywhere from 10 to 75 feet in the air, there is something for all skill levels. Looking for some family time or the perfect date night before football season starts? You can even climb and zip line under the stars. Would you rather keep your feet on the ground? Give axe throwing a try. With their projector systems, you can throw at traditional targets, play tic-tac-toe, connect four, or even hunt zombies. Listeners of this show can get $5 off any ticket by entering the code KIME23DC at checkout. That's KIME, K-E-I-M, 23DC. So there you have it, folks. Climbing, ziplining, axes, food, and bonfires right in your backyard. The weather is warming up, so it's the perfect time to head outside and join the adventure at www.theadventurepark.com. That's www.theadventurepark.com and enter promo code KIME23DC. Logan, I want to get into offensive linemen, tight ends, and just wherever else we're going to go with this. It could be quarterback, could be pass rusher, because I think they're going to look at all those spots um, running back down the line. But I do want to start off with offensive linemen in general, though because they are switching systems. So how does that, how do you think that impacts evaluation of where they want to go and what kind of lineman would you be looking for in terms of their style? Gosh, I mean, that's a great question, John. And I think one of the things that really sticks out to me about that is that you don't know. So like when I'm looking through the offensive line prospects, it's like, let's take uh, Osiris Torrance as an example, the big guard from Florida. Like he's a huge man and one of the things that people think of with big men is that they're really good run blockers. He's not necessarily a great run blocker. Right. He's he's not uh, he's not very fleet of foot. He doesn't really cover guys up very well. He doesn't sink his hips very well at the next level. But what he is really good at is he's really good in pass protection. He's really good at keeping the pocket depth, which is something that's really important yeah. for a young quarterback and a, and a, and a shorter a quarterback. Shorter one, so right. when you look at um, you know Drew Brees, for example, the, the New Orleans always prioritize getting two really large guards that could kind of keep the defensive lineman at the line of scrimmage and i will say osiris torrance can do that at a high level and, and from run game standpoint he's more of a um he's more of a gap scheme guy kind of power duo downhill we're not attacking the perimeter of the defense anymore and the problem with that type of scheme is that the play action off of it isn't quite as effective so think about like west coast offenses they always keep that outside zone element. Right. Big part of it is because the play action pass is really good off of it. So I would assume that, you know, based on last year's struggles and Brock Purdy's success and looking around the league and the offenses that do well, they would try to incorporate a little bit more outside zone. You know, I think that's one of the reasons you move Cosme to guard. You get an athletic guard, can run outside zone. And I'm not sure like a guy like Osiris Torrance would fit with this proposed solution offensively. Now, that's a total speculation on my part because right. they could say, hey, we want to be a big gap scheme downhill running team. And then Osiris Torrance would fit perfectly. I think that that's where some of these evaluations become very, very challenging specifically for Washington, because you don't know who they want to be just yet. <clears throat> right. And, but I, but there is how much, you know, when you look at what Kansas city did, cause we heard that a lot, that would be, you know, right. Like, you know, 
that would be the clue, right? But I, when I look at Kansas City, I see different iterations of Kansas City. I see Kansas City, City with Patrick Mahomes at the helm, and I right. see Kansas City with Alex Smith at the helm. And the Kansas City with Alex Smith at the helm definitely prioritized guys who could run block better because mm-hmm. they ran the ball more. They ran more play action. They they found ways to kind of cultivate shots down the field as opposed to relying on their quarterback to get that done. So if they're going to go Kansas City, yeah, maybe Osiris Torres is a better fit, but then does he play into the screen game, screen game the way you want it, that type of thing. Okay. So th- there's a, there's many layers to this. And then it's also like that's Andy Reid's offense. What is Eric Bieniemy's spin right. on this? Because he originally came from a true West Coast system. You know, he was at UCLA. The OC there was true West Coast. I think when he went to uh, Colorado, he em- employed a lot of kind of West Coast principles. And obviously you go to Kansas City – little bit different right so i think that we don't really know what eric Bieniemy's stamp on this offense is going to be yet now I, you know you want to look at kansas city look at what the, some of the some of the stuff they did well but i do think it's going to be it's a little bit up in the air in terms of what they need and what they're hoping to find in terms of filling out these offensive holes quote unquote so when you look at this that first pick if you're looking because they obviously they're going to address the o-line yeah how First of all, do you have like do you say they've got to come out of this draft with like two O linemen, three O linemen? Mm. And then which areas would you target? Because, you know, they Ron Rivera's talked a lot about Sadiq Charles and Chris Paul at left guard, but you know, Charles gets hurt a lot. Paul is still raw. You have a veteran at left tackle, but there are some good left tackles in this draft. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, that's one of the things that's a little bit unique about this year's class of offensive linemen is that there are a whole bunch of guys who are maybe technically raw, but there's probably seven guys, eight guys that can play tackle in the NFL, which is from a physical standpoint, which is something that, as we've talked about, is something you don't see very often in drafts. The last couple of drafts have been a lot of tackle converting to guard con. Uh, you know, converts as opposed to guys who are just straight tackles. So that's one of the benefits of this year. And I always think there's a lot of value with guys who can play tackle. Like it's just a hard position to find. It's hard to find those guys physically. It's hard to find those guys athletically. So why don't we take, you know, take a shot at a premium value position, irrespective of scheme. You can pick the guy you want. You can pick the the guy you think that fits the best. But I do think that um, that's a direction I would go at 16, just because, that seems to be good value. And I hate to break it to you, but like I said, seven guys, and now people say, oh, well, three go in the first round, four will go in the second. We can get one in the second round or Washington get one in the second round. I just, I don't know, man. With tackles, as you know, John, from covering the draft for a long time, they just get pushed up. Their price gets inflated. Mm-hmm. They get pushed into the first round. So um, I think I'd probably go tackle at 16. Now, you know, who, what kind of tackle do you want there? Do you want Anton Harrison, who's kind of a traditionally left tackle, probably maybe the best pass protector in the class, um, not great in the run game, you know? Is that the type of guy you want? Do you want Darnell Wright, who's been a right tackle, can play guard, more physical, kind of grind you out, knock you in the face type of guy with some pass protection upside because he's a good athlete? Like, there, it's kind of your flavor. And so, like, for me, there's the top two offensive linemen in the class, which is Peter Skaronsky and Paris Johnson. And then he kind of gets into the second wave, which is Darnell Wright, Anton Harrison, and Broderick Jones. Probably in that order. Maybe, you know, Darnell Wright, Anton Harrison are kind of the same. Broderick Jones is my third guy there. And so if you like one of those guys, you think they fit what you do, then I would take him at 16. The problem is, like, I don't know if any of those guys are going to be there, just depending on how the, the draft goes and the mock goes, and then your evaluation of other positions as well. Right, and that's that's the one thing that I hear over there too is they I think they're anticipating a run on two positions, tackle and cornerback. 
Yeah. And mm-hmm. they they have a desire to find a guy at both spots. So it just depends on what you do there. And they're, you know, when you're at 16, you have to have multiple players you like because you you may not get the guy that you want. And you know, um, you may have to trade back if you like a couple guys, you may that may be better value, just right. like last year. If Drake London is at 11 last year, they take him. Right. If he wasn't, they traded back and they got a guy they still really like. So um, let's go with some of those tackles. Darnell Wright, you brought up, you know, so they again, they still have Charles Leno. And Leno is, you know, I mean, he can still play. So if they wanted to keep him, they could always put right inside. Would is could he be a left guard for at least until they need him out of tackle? Or mm-hmm. would you think that it would be, you know, not a good sign for Leno? Well, I think that's a really interesting question because I think Darnell Wright to me is more of a right tackle, you know, okay. and so I think he's a right tackle who can play. He has played left tackle at Tennessee. He struggled at left tackle for whatever okay. reason. And some guys, they just can't see the rush on the left side. Their footwork's not the same, whatever it is, right? He's a dominant right tackle. He's a mediocre left tackle. He can play guard. Okay. So he's an interesting selection to me because he does have the physicality to play inside. And I think he's got enough foot speed and athleticism to play well inside. So if you were to draft Darnell right at 16, which is totally reasonable, I think. Initially, I thought that might have been a little high, but now I think that's a very reasonable selection. He could probably play left guard for you. Or Andrew Whipler. Whipler, Andrew, uh, the guy that they picked up from Kansas City. Wiley. Wiley, excuse me. I'm thinking of the center from Ohio. Yeah, Whipler, anyway, Luke Whipler. Yeah, yeah um, Wiley, he could probably play left guard, and then Darnell Wright could play right tackle. But I do think having – with this amalgamation of the offensive line that you've got so far, you want guys with some level of position flex, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm – I think – I think, and I'm being a little bit like Nostradamus here, trying to predict the future for this group, is I think guys who can play both positions, guard and tackle, will be very valuable here because it allows you to get your best five on the field. Because you've got guys already, um, Cosme, Wiley, who have some guard tackle flexibility. So add another guy to the mix like that. Another guy that's interesting like that is Matthew Bergeron out of Syracuse. Yeah. He'll probably be around in the second round, I would guess. Um, but again, gives you some flexibility, lets you kind of move pieces around, you know, while Leno's here, you know, Matthew's played left guard, he's played left tackle, left guard and right tackle. So a little bit more position flex, not quite the athlete, not quite as productive as Darnell, right. But, you know, again, that's valuable as opposed to drafting a guy, maybe like Dewan Jones, who I think has the upside to be very, very physically special in the NFL and be a very, very good starter. Maybe, I don't say has the highest ceiling, but very close to the highest ceiling of this offensive tackle group. Um, but he can only play tackle. He can maybe play left or right tackle, but right. he can only play tackle. Right. So it does limit your ability to kind of get your best five on the field. If you were to draft a guy like that, you force you force Wiley to move to guard when that might not be the best thing for him or for the group. So um, I think those are the types of things to consider. And then, you know, I mentioned Anton Harrison, how he's probably my third rated offensive lineman. He does not have the same position flex. He can play tackles, but he can't really play guard, in my opinion, because he's not physical enough, right? And then, obviously, a guy like Roderick Jones, who is big, physical, probably the freakiest athlete of the top group of guys, but um, very technically raw still, only 19 starts in his career. So do you want to be messing with him in terms of moving around the front? I'm not sure. So I think they all have their pros and cons, but if I'm kind of circling some guys that I think fit this team's philosophy – it's Darnell Wright because he can play guard, Matthew Bergeron because he can play guard. And then, you know, I think this is probably best case scenario, but Paris Johnson, if he were to come and fall to you at 16, he has played right guard, left yeah. tackle, and right tackle. So 
Um, that again, kind of fits that mold of guys who can do multiple things while still, I think the most important thing is still having that tackle skill set, the ability to line up and give you confidence that they are plus players on the perimeter, unlike some of the guys from last year's class. And, you know, it's funny because in Mel Kuyper's draft, um, his mock, he had Blake Freeland going to these guys in the second round. Yeah. What do you think? So I'm, I'm not the biggest Blake Freeland fan. I think, you know, obviously physically, athletically, he's he's number one guy in this class, you know. But I think he's he's his skill set's probably better suited to an outside run uh, system, kind of like uh, San Francisco, a system mm-hmm. where he has some time to sit. Because when you watch him on film, he's a little bit of a waist bender. And then at the Senior Bowl, you see that kind of waist bending element kind of get exasperated. So mm-hmm. just to give you some context, when you're trying to stop a bull rush – you don't want to sink your head forward. You want to sink your hips down and think about catching the player that's bull rushing you right. and then lifting them out of that position. And he does not, at least as of right now, have the ability to do that, which makes me really reluctant to think that he could come in and play right away. And a second round pick on a player like that makes me a little bit nervous, like especially for this team in the context of Ron with the new owner and, and kind of the win now nature of this year. I would probably even go Tyler Steen over break right. Fleeland, the kid from Alabama, because right. I think he's a little bit more ready to go in those areas. So, um, you know, I, I think Blake Freeland, Freeland's a fine player. I think he could be a very good pro, but I just don't think he's right for where this team is at and the team needs currently. And so I'm a little bit lower on him, but that doesn't mean I think he's a bad football player. Is there someone, because again, it does go deep here. And do you feel like they have to get a tackle versus just get another good lineman? And where is a, what are some guys that you like maybe after that first round? Yeah. So after the first, after that kind of group of seven, right? So Skaronsky, Johnson, Wright, Harrison, Jones, Dewan Jones, and Matthew Bergeron, I think he gets a little bit thin. I would put Tyler Steen in that group personally, but then I think you're kind of, that that's definitely the tail end of that first group. That's only eight players. And I have a feeling that most of those players will be gone very quickly because again tackles are very valuable so so the next player for me is warren out of pittsburgh he's got you know 35 inch arms he's 325 330 pounds he kind of reminds me a little bit of like a young morgan moses you know like a guy who played for a long time and then there's another guy a wanye morris from oklahoma who physically has every single tool you could possibly want but at sometimes during his play is a little apathetic you know, and that always makes me a little bit nervous. So um, those are kind of the tackles. And I obviously Blake Freeland is another guy that needs to be mentioned in that kind of third or fourth tier of guys. Um, they could be good football players. There's just a little bit more risk associated with them. Um, so I don't know. I, I, as a result, I think the tackles are going to go quickly. If you are to miss, obviously you can go guard or you could go center. And I will say the center class, um, there's three guys who are very, very good football players, who I or I think are fully capable, probably four guys who are capable of coming in and starting almost day one. So if you were to go that way, if you were to miss on your tackle, then center's available. And then I do think, I, I think it's important to note that the guard class is not overly strong. Okay. And it gets pretty thin. There are some guys who can play, no doubt, but it gets pretty thin pretty quickly, which, um, you know, is something to factor in when making your selection. So the, the centers, Minnesota kid, TCU, Ohio State, and Wisconsin. No, so for me, yeah, so for me, it's a I don't TCU. I have in whatever a guard. order. Yeah, I, TC, TCU. I have a as as a guard of Ely. Okay. okay. Um, but he can play center, hundred yeah. percent. So Schmitz, uh, Minnesota, Minnesota, Whipler, Ohio State, 
and Tipman, Wisconsin are my kind of three okay. guys that I think okay. are ready to go. And then there's the kid from Arkansas who's kind of the next okay. guy, very good. And then there's um, a kid from Temple, very good. And then the kid from Michigan. So there, there's a whole bunch of uh, good yeah. centers. I think the first group of those guys that we mentioned, um, you know, are kind of the elite. They'll come in and start right away. One of them might even go in the first round. Uh, so if you wanted to go that way, I think you could get one in the third round. It'd be a little risky, but I, I do think that's a possibility for sure. What And then looking at, because get asked about tight ends all the time. Sure. And I'm sure you've heard about, you know, and like, there's some people who are adamant they need to draft one in the first round. Uh-huh. There's some guys that they like, I think, after that first round. But what do, what's your take on it? How, how no, again, some of this is projecting what the enemy's offense does. And I sure. also, I'm a firm believer that, Travis Kelsey was used in Kansas City, not just because they want the tight end, but because he's Travis Kelsey. Right. And, you know, there's a difference. So, but how important do you think it is to add there? And and where would you, where is a, a, a good value for that position? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. I, I mean, you know, I can kind of go through my list if, if you'd like. And, you know, so Dalton Kincaid is my number one guy from Utah. There's been rumors lately that he's got some type of back injury, which could make him slide down. Um, but he's he catches the football the best to anybody in the class. He's basically like a big receiver. He's got a lot of Kelsey qualities, which I think I think is part of the reason why he's getting mocked here so much. He just is good in zones. He's good in the seam. He adjusts well to the football in the air. He's competitive when the football's in the air. He's not a great blocker. You know, he's he's willing, but he's not great at it. So you know, you'd have to kind of probably hide him around the formation and, and not put him in too many high leverage blocking situations. But that's why you have Bates if you want him. Uh, my next guy is Michael Mayer out of Notre Dame. I think I have a hard time with him personally in terms of evaluation because I, I, li- I really like his film. He blocks well. He catches the ball well. He's got good route running savvy and nuance, but he's not as big as everyone thought. He's 6'4", 255. He didn't run as well as people thought. So, like, how does that translate in the NFL? And everyone's like, oh, he's got such a good contested catch ability. And at least, you know, in my kind of brief history of doing this, people with high contested catch ability in college – don't do well in the NFL because the defenders are stronger, they're bigger, they're faster. And so they can't utilize this contested catch ability because they can't body him out the same way. So um, I think, I think his ceiling is probably like Cole. I think he's like a Cole Komet type guy. Who's going to be a good pro catch, catch a couple balls, catch, you know, 30 to 50 balls a year and, you know, be very solid, but never going to be kind of your elite top five, top 10, even type of guy, just kind of middle of the pack, consistent, good pro and there's value there and, and and i'm not trying to diminish that right right so i think that's important i think and then so those are the first two guys i could see both those guys going in the first round i probably wouldn't take either one of them at 16 i wouldn't i, I for sure wouldn't take any of them at 16 but maybe if you trade back you're in that 25 to 35 range i could see that you know that would you think that would they be need it. it uh you know i've talked about this a couple places i talked about it with um nikki javala recently just casually and one of the things i said to her was like you know, one of the things that drives tight end production in the NFL and leads to good projection is athletic traits. So tight end production in college will lie to you. Like the perfect example is Kaufman, who came out of Missouri, I want to say 12 years ago now, and he was the leading receiver all time in FBS history, but he didn't run very well. He wasn't very strong. He wasn't very big. He just was very productive. And so look at the guys who have been athletically productive at the next level. They're big freaky athletes. And so on this team, you've got three guys who right. kind of fit that mold, right. two guys for sure. 
and uh, and one guy who catches the football really well. So you got Armani, who is about as physically freaky in terms of upside as you're going to see. Um, Curtis Hodges, converted receiver, 6'8". He's gained a whole bunch of weight in this offseason, about 255, like adjusts the ball like a basketball player and a receiver in the air. And you got Cole Turner, who, again, is maybe not the fastest guy of all time, but excellent body control and excellent size. And so I say to myself, like, you know, people want like a lottery pick or a sure thing at tight end. And I hate to break it to you, but Don Kincaid um, is 25 years old. And despite him being very, very productive, his production will not match what it was in college if he's not featured in the offense appropriately, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you're drafting a tight end like Dalton Kincaid, are you going to take, you know, Jahan Dotson off the field? Are you going to take Curtis Samuel right. off the field? Like, uh, like that's, that's what my thing. That's what you'd have to do, right? So to me, I would say bank on a little bit of development from those guys. Like, I think I was super impressed with Armani last year. I was super impressed with Curtis in training camp. Cole Turner in training camp was maybe the most dominant guy outside of Jahan before he got hurt. So I say to myself, like, man, you've got something there. Do I want to expend draft capital on a guy on on a position where I've got kind of three lottery picks? And my thought, my initial thought is no. Now, for example, if you're picking in the third or fourth round and, you know, Koontz from Old Dominion sitting there and he's staring you in the face. This guy who, again, has this freaky athletic upside profile, you know, he's six, seven, I want to say six, eight, maybe 255. He ran a a four, five. He had a 41 inch vertical, like, like that type of profile staring at you. I'm not saying turn your nose at it or, you know, Luke Musgrave sitting there in the third round. Like, I'm not saying I like him. Yeah. I'm not saying don't draft a tight end, but I'm saying, think about how you could better allocate your draft capital um, given what you already have in terms of upside players on your roster. Right. And that's the one, that's why I like, that's why I say there's good value after that, which is why I think you got to go very much with the value pick in the first round. So unless a lot of guys are gone that you like, I would go somewhere else, but there are, because there are good tight end options and I don't, you know, I would feel if I'm them, I don't have to get that first round guy because you do have options here. And there are some good options in the third round. Like a guy, do you like Musgrave? I do like Musgrave. I think he's he's kind of that physical upside wild card. And I will say, you know, when you watch his tape, you see you see an athlete who's about the same as Dalton Kincaid. Like I'd actually give you know a little bit of an edge to um, Luke Musgrave in terms of overall athleticism, but he's coming off an injury. There were some questions at the combine circulating after the interviews that like you know how much does he really love football or is he just doing it because he's good at it. And that might seem like a silly question, but it's important because I want to bet on guys who love football, you know, right. like Sam right, Laporta, right. for example, out of Iowa yep. is, you know, he's like a football playing Johnny. Like that's right. all he cares about. That's right. what he talks right. about. That's what he thinks about. And I, I want to bet on those guys, you know, and a little bit of it's my bias. Cause that's how I was. And I know that those guys can develop and Sam Laporta has got a great physical upside. So yeah. even though I like Luke, Luke Musgrave, I like his tape. I like the way he blocks. I like, I don't, he doesn't block well all the time, but he's got that upside as a blocker upside as the pass catcher. Like he can do it all, but does he love football and he's coming off an injury. So I think, and you know, another guy that we haven't talked about, I'm I'm sure fans are freaking out about it is Darnell Washington. Right. Right. right, A guy that again, physically does a lot of things very, very well. But when you watch this tape, I think, I think a lot of fans would be maybe disappointed with how the, the inconsistency there, yeah. like he doesn't always win in line the way you think he should win. Right. He doesn't have this great separation at the top, you know, like, so when you're drafting a guy high, like I want to see elite separation. I want to see physicality down in and down out. I want to see a consistency. And then much like Luke Musgrave, there's 
kind of off field stuff ruminating. And I don't know how true it is that he doesn't work as hard as you'd like. And he doesn't prepare the way you'd like to prepare. And that again, if I'm drafting a guy <clears throat> in the second round or the first round, I want to feel good about that stuff. And um, so those are all things to consider when, when going through the, the tight end evaluation process. So where do you think at 16, you've done a lot of work on this, Yeah, you know, with you and again, I always plug, you know, the take command podcast with Craig Hoffman, you do a lot of work on the commander's site. So people need to go check that stuff out because it's always good stuff. But what do you think after studying this, would you say like, hey, this is the position at 16 that I think you're going to get the biggest bang for your buck, or maybe is there a player or two? Yeah. You know, I always, I will say this. I always hate when people ask me, who do you like? It's well, you have to have a range of players, but who, who are like, what position do you think would maybe get the best value at 16 based on how you think it might unfold? So just so people understand, like I'm, I'm a big tier guy when I'm prepping my draft board, right? So there's tier one. I've got eight players in tier one. Those are like the top guys of, of, of in my opinion of this year's draft class. In my tier two, which is approximately where Washington is picking, I've got Anthony Richardson, Dalton Kincaid, Darnell Wright, Anton Harrison, Roderick Jones, Lucas Van Ness, Tyree Wilson, Nolan Smith, Kalijah Cansey out of Penn State. And then for the DBs, I've got Christian Gonzalez, Deontay Banks, Joey Porter Jr., and Brian Branch. So the reason I bring that up is I would basically be okay selecting any one of those players yeah. at 16. And like, that's kind of how I look at it. Right. Right. <laughs> Anybody that I didn't mention, if they're really good, they're in my first year, if they're less than that. So like, for example, Miles Murphy, Will McDonald, this, the fourth Felix, Adiki Ozama, BJ Ozolari are my second tier defensive right. linemen. And that would be too rich for me to take right. at 16. Right. I would want to trade back to draft one of those guys. <clears throat> but I, I think I just listed off 10 players that were yeah. in my tier two, 12 players. So I think that shows you that not all of those guys are going to be selected at fifth at 15 or 16. So I want to trade back if I possibly could. Right. Yeah, right. Crew draft capital. Right. Because if I've given all those guys the same tier, the guys they just mentioned, I think it's really important for fans to understand that I don't number my prospects. Initially, I number them one through I think I did 100, one through 100. Right. And then I put them in this tier and this is how it fell out. So I'd be willing to take one of those players at 16, but there's a lot of them. So why not trade back? and draft someone else that that I feel is going to be a good football player. And even if you narrow it down just to offensive line and corners, if all those players, so the six players, Wright, Harrison, Jones, Gonzalez, Banks, and Joy Porter Jr. are available at 16, I can trade back six spots and still be insured of drafting a guy that I really like. Does that make sense what I'm saying, yeah, John? Yeah, of course. Like, Absolutely. Listen, I'm all, I, and I agree with that. That's I think in an ideal situation, they would trade back and get another pick in the second or third round and, and do, you know, they, I think gives them some flexibility in those rounds to maybe go draft a guy like Hendon hooker late second or somewhere like that. If, if they wanted to. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I do, I am curious because at cornerback and you and I have talked about this just casually about, you know, a guy like Deontay banks. And I think based on how Del Rio likes to use his corners is probably a better fit right. than a Joey Porter jr. I agree. I mean, I think so. Deontay Banks is my third corner. Like it's Chris, it's Devontae Witherspoon is in the first tier, Christian Gonzalez, second tier. And then I would go Deontay Banks. And I would even give a little bit of an edge if we're going scheme fit for Washington. And the reason I feel that way is because Deontay Banks is excellent in man coverage. He can play off and he's probably the best athlete of the top group of guys there. He's fantastic and he tackles, he's physical, he loves football. You can tell by the way he plays. 
And so I, I really enjoy watching them and I, I'd love it. If at 16, you're like, man, you know, we're not sure what's going on or we have a higher grade on banks than we do the other guys in the class. I could see them taking that guy, you know? And, and I think this is where it's important for fans to understand that the grades the teams have on the guys is really important. So for example, I have Devontae Witherspoon as the only corner in the top class, but maybe they have Devontae Witherspoon and Deontay Banks in that first tier. So if that first tier player falls to you at 16, you sprint the you sprint right, the pick in. Right, you don't even right. think twice about it. It's in just because of how you've pre-tiered your players. And like I just said, I have 12 players in my second tier. So if any one of those players I can draft at 16, I feel really good about it. Now there's going to be a little bit of a process of elimination, right? Um, you know, I'm probably going to weigh offensive line and cornerback over defensive end, right? Because we have a lot of defensive ends here, but that's how I'm going to do the process. And I think that's how the team's going to approach. But just remember that their evaluations are a little bit different than, than my evaluations. Right. Like this is just right. a, an example. Right. And it's funny. Cause like, and I think what sometimes people, when people start talking about overvaluing, overdrafting people, it's based on all the mocks that we've all seen. Correct. They, the mocks don't always match what the teams think because they're privy to different and more information than everybody else. And so yeah. I think that's something important to keep in mind. The other thing is like pass rusher. And sure. I say pass rusher because I don't just mean edge rusher. It could be a linebacker who's right. a really good pass rusher, but could also help them and maybe drop into coverage. Who's a guy like that, but might you think would might tempt them at some point? Yeah. So, I mean, if you're looking for that skill set specifically, um, you know, Drew Sanders is a very special football player out of Arkansas. He was at Alabama, transferred to Arkansas, played middle linebacker is an edge rusher by trade is at least that's what he was doing at Alabama. And I think the thing about him that sticks out is he is, he's an athletic son of a gun. You know, he can run, he's tall, he's six, five, he's two forty. He's got great movement skills. He's, he's like, um, he's a more athletic Jack Campbell. Who's the guy from Iowa. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now like the thing that differentiates them is Jack Campbell has like Luke Keekley instincts. Like he right. knows where the ball is going. He's an excellent tackler. He's physical at defeating blocks. And Drew Sanders at that element of the game is a little bit more raw. Now, where he kind of upsteps and you see people mocking him in the second round and bottom of the first in some cases is because he's an excellent pass rusher. So I think that that's kind of where his value comes in because of that edge rushing background. I, I personally get a little weary of people that are positionless in terms of football, right, especially right. on a team like this where they're running a lot of four down. But I do think if you're looking for that type of skill set, that guy's going to be there. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's a skill set that gets you excited because he said, oh, he can drop, he can run. Another guy that I think is interesting is Keon White out of Georgia Tech. And I've seen in the PFF board that he's dropped down into kind of that 80 range, which would be a third round pick. And I think if he's there at 80, like, I don't know how you don't pick him because he's 6'5", he's 287 pounds. He didn't run the fastest 40, but when he's in space, he looks like a good athlete. He's physical as heck. He fits what you want to do, gives you inside-outside flexibility. Like, there are a lot of guys that fit that bill. Drew Sanders just happens to play linebacker and be the best blitzer of the class. But there are other edge rushers that you say, man, like him as a rotational piece here would be pretty special for this group. And and I want to, like I, like I said, I, I emphasize pass rusher because it doesn't just mean on the edge. It could, it could, sure. it could be. So what about like a, a Nolan Smith? Oh my gosh. I, I mean, I think Nolan Smith is fantastic. Like he has like a suddenness and a burst and an explosion and a physicality that you wouldn't expect from a guy of his size. You know, he's not the biggest guy in the world. Right. Um, 
you know, I, the question to me is like, can he play consistently off the football in right, space? Uh, right. And Fred Smoot mentioned that there were some clips from two years ago where he did that. So I'm going to go back. That's on my list of to do things and go watch that. Cause if he can do that, I think, golly, like that's a big, that's, that's a tremendous athlete who's a good pass rusher. And if he can play in space, like, you know, this was Fred's comparison and it's very lofty. And Fred is saying he can play in space. I haven't seen it yet, but you're getting like a Micah Parsons type guy, mm-hmm. you know? And like, if that's the case now, big, if they're big, you know, uh, you know, this is from the mouth of the mouth, Fred, <laughs> Fred smooth himself. And I love Fred, but he does. He, he's one, he's, he's a little hyperbolic at times. Let's just say that. Just a little. So if he, so if, but if that's true, then I think, you, you know, that's an excellent fit for this team. How much has he talked to you about Emmanuel Forbes? I mean, we talk about Emmanuel Forbes literally every time I see him. And Fred is going to be mad because Emmanuel Forbes is in my third tier of corner. But I probably just did it just to spite Fred, to be honest with you. Because <laughs> I had him on last week and and that was I was like, you know, I he is Forbes' DC based agent, it appears. So, you know, um, That's a good way of putting it, John. Because yeah. like like every literally every time I see him, I'm like, you know, I like him, but like if you look at he had seven picks last year. Four of them are tip passes and two of them are underthrown. So he's actually got two picks. And Fred's like, well, you got to be around the ball to make those. Plays. He's always got a way to spin mm-hmm. old Emmanuel Forbes, the old bulldog himself. So. so last thing then on quarterbacks, because yeah. I think if there's a guy in this draft that they would take in the first two rounds, it would be Hendon Hooker. Um, he's visiting here, yep. you know, and, and they, you know, I think there's some intrigue with him. But what would it signal to you if they went out and draft? Let's say they're not going to take him at 16. So. And they're, and they're not going to take any, there's not going to be a quarterback there at 16 that I, that they'll take. And, you know, unless one of those top two guys falls all the way down there and that's not going to happen. Yeah. So you're looking after the first round for that. And then, you know, if they got an extra second or third or second round pick, or if he fell there in the third, he'd be very intriguing, but what would it signal to you if they did that? I mean, I don't know if it singles uh, signals anything. You know, I think like, you know, Hendon Hooker, Tanner McKee, a guy like that, if they were to draft him, I think it's just good draft process. You know, foot, uh, quarterback's the most valuable position right. in sports. Like if you can develop those guys, you can trade them. You can, um, you know, move them. You can do different things with them. So I don't know if it signals anything other than like, we think he's a really good player with really good upside and a guy that could develop. I don't think it's an indictment of Sam or anything like that. I think, you know, you want good football players on your team. And I, I kind of wish that more guys around the more teams around the league adopted a more aggressive approach to quarterback development. I think that's something that this would signal to me is that you're ready to kind of have a guy in the wings, learn the offense, come along and develop. And, you know, when I look back to when I first got in the league and when I was in college, you know, so 10 years ago now, 15 years ago, quarterbacks always sat their first two years. And I always felt like they sat their first two years and then they came out as better prospects when they had to start. You know, they were a little bit more ready for the speed of the NFL, a little, little bit more ready for the coverages. They understood stuff a little bit more, and and they were more effective. And so I don't understand why there's been this movement away from that, even with first-round players, just to let them kind of bide their time and grow and develop. So I think that would be excellent process. You know, if if again, if their evaluation is that high on Hendon Hooker, if their right. evaluation is like that, then I, I think that's that's the right thing to do because that's a very valuable position. And analytics, from an analytics standpoint, it's the only thing to do because it is the most important position in sports. So if you see a guy that has some upside 
take an opportunity on that pick and and see if he develops into something more. And that's that, uh, to me. If you don't, I think I'm intrigued by Sam Howell. I've been saying this, but this is a franchise that hasn't had that guy for a long time. Right. Don't give up the search until you thought. Even when you do know, I think it's still worth taking a guy later because develop as a backup or develop to trade. If you know, if nothing else, if you like the guy as a quarterback, maybe the guy gets hurt and you know you don't know where it goes. So it's all to me. It's a constant quest to make sure you're. If you don't have the guy, make sure you know. If you do have the guy, make sure the position is still solidified beyond that guy. Yeah, and I think about Philadelphia and what they did with um, Jalen Hurts, yeah. who just signed that big contract. Yeah. Like they drafted him before Carson Wentz had completely fallen off a cliff, partially so they could develop him, and then you end up getting a pretty solid pro out of it. So I will say real quick, like Hendon Hooker is uh, is a tough evaluation because that Tennessee offense yeah. is kind of insane to watch in terms of like these deep option routes and like long, just kind of staring one guy down the field. But he does have something to him you know he's on rhythm he makes good throws he's got the arm talent and he can run a little bit so you know if he wasn't coming off the acl i'd feel much better about it but he's uh he's a good football player last thing i want to ask you so you brought up jalen hurts 179 million guaranteed is that more or less than your biggest guarantee (laughs) than mine yeah it was close man i really had to think (laughs) back on it can you relate I, to that deal? Yeah, I was like, man, like all these millionaires, you know, us guys <laughs> just hanging out on the boat, you know? Uh, yeah, no, that was pretty cool. I always get really excited when I see guys making a lot of money because that's what this is all about. Yeah. You know, like those guys getting paid for their family. Got paid a little bit more than I did, probably with the signing, probably with like his first, you know, training camp check. He'll get paid more than I did in my whole career, but, you yeah, know, happy too. for him. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I always like seeing guys who have worked their ass off be rewarded. Yeah. I think he's one of those guys – I always liked his intangibles, but you know, when he came out, I was like, is he going to be accurate? Are you going to be this? And he is, he's a good player and he's a really good player. And I think the Eagles have done a really good job surrounding himself, him with talent. And then he's done a really good job of, of developing himself and working on his game, et cetera. So it's nice to see guys like that get rewarded, but. Absolutely. Totally agree. Yeah. So Logan, thanks a lot. Anything you want to plug coming up? Um, just my Instagram, Logan underscore Paulson A2, the podcast, Take Command Podcast with Craig Hoffman. And then if you want Commander's content, visit the Commander's website or the Commander's YouTube page, which is Washington, which is under the Washington Commander's header on YouTube. So yeah, check that out. And one day we'll talk about a new owner and see what that means. But who knows when that day will actually be <laughs> finalized. So there you go, Logan. Thanks a lot, man. Thanks, man. Appreciate you. That's it for this episode. Thanks to Logan for joining me and thank you as always for listening. I'll be back Thursday night slash Friday morning with another episode. We're going to be talking to Ron Rivera and Martin Mayhew on Thursday about the draft and a few other topics. So we'll talk about it at that time. Back to next time.